0: Welcome back to the Confessions of a Crappy Christian Podcast, a place where you and all of your crap are not just welcome, you're wanted. I'm your host, Blake Gishay, and every week I'm showing up with a new friend to talk about the things we're really great at, the ways Christ fills in the gaps on the things that we're not, and how He has been faithful to make His power perfect in our weaknesses. My hope is that you walk away feeling empowered and not alone in your struggles, and that people sharing their stories pushes you to share yours. All right, let's do this. Today's guest is Mary Demuth. Mary is an author, speaker, and podcaster who is passionate about helping you live a restoried life. Mary is a survivor of sexual assault and has spent her life healing from trauma so that she can help others not feel so alone. Our conversation is so full of truth and gentle direction and just some real-life ways to walk alongside survivors of sexual abuse and assault. Mary, hey, thank you so much for coming on today. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we're doing another we're doing another heavy topic today, but it's so necessary and I'm so thankful that we have people who are speaking up and having this conversation. You are a survivor of sexual assault and you share your story in your book, We Too. Um, tell us, just to kind of get us started, tell us about your book and your story and, and your hope in writing that.
1: Yeah, so I wrote, it's a we two, as you said, how the church can respond redemptively to the sexual abuse crisis. And I wrote it because I was seeing that the church was not responding redemptively to the sexual abuse crisis. Uh, My own story is a long time ago when I was five years old. um, I was at a babysitter's house during my kindergarten year and these two neighborhood boys would come and pick me up and they would take me out into the woods and obviously do what they did and um, they of course told me they would kill my parents if I told anyone I ended up being really plucky though and I ended up telling my babysitter and my babysitter said I will tell your mom which I thought meant that she would tell my mom but she didn't and the next day she actually pushed me out of the house again to have it happen to me again and this happened my whole kindergarten career and finally I learned the art of sleeping because I had this pervasive belief about myself that no one in the world would protect me or love me. And so, if anyone was going to protect me from these predators, it was going to have to be me. And so, I would get home from kindergarten at the babysitter's house and I would pretend to sleep until my mom picked me up. And then I, um, you know, we moved away, thankfully, and I began that long journey of wondering why predators kept chasing me. And I spent a lot of my childhood running away from them. And, um, eventually, uh, you know, became my, my mom, my parents were, there's lots of divorces, there's drug abuse in the home, neglect. My, uh, biological father died when I was 10. So just like every trauma a little kid can have, I definitely had, and of course had all sorts of, as a, as a burgeoning young writer, as a seventh grader, I was writing suicide poetry and thinking about taking my life and very seriously. And, um, eventually, Uh, As a 10th grader, I met Christ through Young Life, and that began my healing journey. Um, How that informs this book is that I have a great, big, empathetic heart toward anyone that has this story. And I have been grieving that the church has been more dismissive, cliched in their response, and um, often will push back against a survivor and make their healing journey worse. Mm-hmm. And I don't, when I look at the Gospels, I don't see Jesus acting that way. And so that's why I wrote it.
0: Okay. That was a lot. I'm sorry. No, no, that was not an okay. Like that was, a lot. I mean, it was a lot, but it's, <laughs> yeah. you gotta, I mean, you gotta, we gotta jump in. Um, and it's, I, I told you this before we started recording, you know, the general, what's become the general premise of this podcast is, is talking about things that the church won't or doesn't or doesn't do well and and I told you that you know my my assistant saw your publisher's email and was like, "Yep, like book it cuz this is we got to talk about this and as a as a member of the church and a sexual assault survivor, you have this really interesting foot in both worlds, right? Mm-hmm. So Coming from the survivor side, what what perspective can you share about how abuse victims are feeling and are being treated by the church? What are those dismissive, cliche responses looking like? Yeah, I
1: actually recorded a video and I made my poor life group say all these insensitive comments. It's on my website, we2.org. So if you want to see my husband say something insensitive, you can go on there. But some of those comments were things like, that was so long ago. Why can't you just get over it? The old is gone. The new has come. God must have wanted you to go through this because it must be his will. Um, what were you wearing? Of course, we've heard that one quite a bit. Um, you were you know, five. Why were- <laughs> I, know, I was like I was wearing a jumper <laughs> saddle shoes <laughs> you know oh, nothing nothing provocative um, but those kinds of things that that we hear like um you know what what were you wearing of course that was one as i just mentioned and then why were you in that position or maybe another one that we've been hearing is well why didn't you kick him where it counted why didn't you run away and this is just a, a problem is that the church doesn't understand trauma at all. Mm. And they don't understand the dynamics of they only know about fight or flight. And so they think, okay, when you're being Uh, Harmed by someone you will either fight or flee, but there are two more there's freeze and fawn and I froze Most people freeze and and so then that kind of sets up this like shame filled Well, I should have fought back and why didn't I fight back? And then you don't tell because of that because you think well, maybe I'm to blame and then when people say things like that You think oh, yeah, maybe I should have tried to get out of that somehow or I just didn't protect myself or whatever so these are the kinds of things that we're hearing. And then there's a lot of Christian platitudes and cliches using scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, the, old, the oldest God, and the newest gum. you know, God has this brand new plan that he has for you, you know, this future and all of that. And, um, those things are true and can be discussed later. But when someone is disclosing heartache for the very first time, what they need is a listening ear and they need you to cry with them. That's
0: mm-hmm. it. Mm hmm. I, so, I feel like my brain just imploded in on itself. I'm going to be totally honest. I'm, like, so mad right now that that has been <laughs> your experience, which is for sure what I'm good for as a friend. Like, when my friend is, friends are going through something crappy, they know to come to me if they need what the hell? Like, this is the worst, <laughs> you know? Like, they know, like, that's yeah. what they're going to
1: get here. Well, and that's really, you know, I, I have to get back to Jesus and would he say those things? No, he wouldn't. Of course oh. he wouldn't. And if we're, if we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ as, as his body on this earth, then we're not going to act that way. So I feel like I just, part of me is giving folks a wake up call to how to be empathetic.
0: Absolutely. Why do you think the church misses the mark on this? I mean, when you, talk, you talked briefly about that the church doesn't understand trauma. Why, why is the church so bad at this?
1: Right. And I—that's uh, a good question. And I will say that the church in some ways to me has been amazing. So part of my healing journey has been that people prayed for me and they were like you. They're like, what the heck? That's not happened.
0: Right. So I, that. I shouldn't like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, <laughs> obviously, there are people who are, love Jesus who are very capable cool yes. of walking through these things. But, yes, but. <laughs> the reality is that you shouldn't be having that experience with believers across the board.
1: Right, I think part of the issue is something I've just been thinking about a lot lately and I'm calling it the happy world syndrome. And what I mean by that is people who are in the church tend to have like two buckets in their life. There's like the secular bucket and the sacred bucket. And it's okay if bad things happen in a secular bucket, but if you try to mess with their their, um, sacred bucket, you're going to get in trouble. Mm. Because if you begin to say, especially if sexual abuse happened within the church, if you begin to say, well, that awesome youth pastor that everyone loves did that to me, then that messes with the other person's um, happy place. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, they don't wanna live in a world that's not happy like that. They don't wanna live in a world where there can be predators in church. They don't wanna live in a world where that upstanding citizen or that you know, that other you know, person that we all love and admire is bad. Mm-hmm. We wanna be able to have an understandable world and we wanna be able to say, in my church world, everything's okay. Um, and so I think that's kind of part of the dynamic is we want to put on cliche platitude band-aids on people's weeping, terrible wounds, because if we can dismiss them and push them away, then we do not have to deal with the egregious sin and crime that's happening.
0: Yeah. I wonder if some of it isn't also going along with that, like happy world, like happy life mentality that we forget that bad things happened to god's beloved in scripture over and over and over and we we've bought this christian lie that like Mm. you sign on with jesus and everything is peachy keen you know and i wonder if it's like we personally can't reconcile loving a god who loves us and is in control and these things happen yeah. And I, like, it's like, you know, we're all always making everything about ourselves. I wonder if it's <laughs> like your trauma confuses my belief system that everything should be fine.
1: Yeah, I think you are absolutely onto something there. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because as we all know, if we have a robust theology, we know that there's evil in the world and I think even part of that robust theology can have that question in it. I still have that question, where were you, God? I'm a mom, and I I know that if I knew my kids were having this thing happen to them, I would definitely be a mama bear and protect them. And so then the question in my mind becomes, if I would protect my own children, then why doesn't God protect his children? Mm. And that's a tension that I is an allowable tension and it's part of my relationship with God. And it's, I can satisfy it to a certain extent with theological arguments, but my heart sometimes has a hard time understanding it. And I want to give people that safe place. Even right now, as we're talking to say, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. If you have that question, it's a normal human question and we will understand it on the other side, but we're not, we're going to see in a mirror dimly until that moment. And so, um, and, and I think the church is uncomfortable with those questions. And, you know, they do, the church just wants to, we almost have a health and wealth belief, even if we would say, oh, I'm not health and wealth. We actually do have that belief. We believe that we're supposed to have this easy life from the moment we meet Jesus on.
0: And are supposed to have all of the answers. And Christians are right. very uncomfortable. With like not being able to spit out a really perfect, theologically sound, scripturally based answer to every single thing that life is going to throw at us. And the reality is, is that is because we live in a broken world, that this earth is not the way that God intended for it to be. Mm-hmm. And that that we're going to encounter these things. And the answer to them does not have to be... This, like, long, scripturally eloquent thing. Like, it can be, this sucks, and I don't understand why mm-hmm. it happened. And it's okay that you're mad at God. And it's okay if you're mad at the people who were supposed to protect you. Like, mm-hmm. feel all of that. Because if you don't, it's going to eat you alive. And my dad always told me when I was a kid, God has really big shoulders.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He can take our questions. He can take our doubt. He can take our anger and our, and our, where were you? Like, and he wants it. Like, he wants all of that. He wants to be in it, in that tension with us, which kind of brings us to, I mean, we have this completely perfect example to follow in everything that we do. And that includes how we as believers and the church respond to and love survivors of sexual assault. And I I love that you said earlier that instead of a dismissive, cliche response, that our response can be redemptive, Mm -hmm. which that's everything, you know, that was Jesus' entire ministry was redemption. How did Jesus model this for us?
1: Yeah, in every possible way. And I love watching, I, I love just reading through the Gospels over and over and over again, because um, I see him finding the lost, the last least. I, I see him dignifying the story of the broken. We have the discourse between he and the Samaritan woman, and it's the longest theological discourse in Scripture between Jesus and another human being. And here she is, probably a marginalized woman. Because she had five marriages, we like somehow equate that as she's some sort of floozy or something, which I disagree with. I think she actually— probably was barren and was allowed to be divorced many times because she couldn't produce an offspring well then the whole story takes on a whole new dimension and you think wow and then you think she's a samaritan and she's with jesus alone at a well the disciples are horrified by the whole thing and he he Talks to her and tells her the truth about her story, not in a condemning way, in such a way that she wants to tell every enemy and every weirdo in her path, you know, from her village <laughs> that Jesus has changed her life. And he listened, he discussed, she told him stuff that was true and frustrating to her. Why is it this mountain? Why do you say it's on that mountain? And so we have an amazing example of Jesus drawing someone out. Uh, healing her heart and she went there with a bucket and she was trying to fill it with some water and she left her bucket behind because she already got filled.
0: Mm. I love that. I'm like writing so fast. <laughs> <That> he didn't <laughs> condemn her. He listened. He discussed. She, he fielded her questions. He drew her out and he helped heal her heart and that the the reality is, is that Christ in us equips us to do that alongside other people that we are better than cliche dismissive responses to sexual assault i mean that is that's an outline essentially that you don't condemn you don't judge you listen oh my god please listen like it's like sometimes you just shut up just let me talk let me tell my story That he, you know, you field questions and you point them back to truth and you, but I love that he drew her out. That is, I feel like that's such a beautiful picture of what Christ does with us and what we are capable of doing with other people who are struggling is like, you don't have to hide from me. You don't have to, like, you're safe here and i think that it can feel really heavy and like a lot of pressure to 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 carry these things with someone but that the reality is is that we're like that god is doing it through us that we are the vessel you know and i love all that
1: imagery that you just said and you talked about jesus drawing you out they're sitting by a well right you draw water out of a well i mean it's just it's this it's so simple symb- We're giving people this living water. It's not our water, it's the living water of Jesus. It's his irresistibility. There's just so many metaphors that we could layer on top of each other on that particular story.
0: I know, it's so beautiful. All right, y'all, big announcement. The podcast is now sponsored by LifeWay. Yeah, like the LifeWay. Specifically, their CSB study Bible, which perfectly enough is the Bible that I use. So the CSB Study Bible exists to inspire you to grow in your understanding and love of God's word. It also contains an award-winning array of study resources, including over 16,000 study notes, tools, and word studies. So if you ever wanna understand the Greek, this is the Bible for you. It is now available in eight different cover options, including two new covers. So whether you are learning to prepare for Future Bible studies, or it's your daily readings, this Bible is the ideal resource for lifelong discipleship, and I personally can attest to that. You can learn more at csbbible.com, visit lifeway.com to order your copy, or visit the link in the show description. I think... You, I know you write in your book. This is our We Too movement to purposefully suffer along the se- alongside the sexually broken, and I, lo- I mean, you know, obviously Me Too is still a big deal, and I love that it's you've kind of moved it into We Too, like that it's us, it's all of us. I want to be in this mm-hmm. with you outside of what we, what we outlined from that story of, of Jesus at the well, what are like real deal practical ways that people can suffer alongside abuse survivors today? How can we be better at this?
1: Yeah, I truly believe that we, we, um, we heal better together. And so if you have a friend who's broken in this way their tendency is going to want to be to isolate. And so for you to keep pursuing them, even though that might be hard and you might be rebuffed. Mm. Um, Another way that we can uh, do this within the church is that church leaders can allow for survivor stories from the front. Um, I've been going to church a really long time, and I've only heard my particular type of story from the pulpit less than um, the fingers on one hand. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how painful that is because even though intellectually I understood that you know, a whole bunch of us in the crowd were dealing with this issue, I still felt like a weirdo and a freak because it was never talked about in a redemptive way, never even mentioned It's it as if it never happened. But so if we can just share some of those stories from the front and let them be messy, let them be, um, you know, I'm not resolved in my healing yet. I'm still on my journey, but Jesus has done some amazing things. And then what you mentioned about listening is really important. We're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And we're also, according to Romans 12:15, we're supposed to weep alongside those who weep. So to be empathetic, we're to um, allow ourselves to have the emotions that God gives us. So when someone tells me their story, Sometimes I don't weep with those who weep. I get angry <laughs> with those who are angry because yeah. they. a lot of people feel like, well, I, I can't be angry. And so I'm just going to get angry on their behalf and say, <laughs> that is terrible. And I am so sorry. And just like you did with your friends, you know, this is not how it should be. This is, uh, this represents a crime and sin and all sorts of things. And this is not just, and I'm, I'm rightfully angry on your behalf.
0: Absolutely. And I think... We talk sometimes on this show about that, like God is in, how much God is in the uncomfortable, and in in that tension, how much He meets us. Obviously, He's everywhere, but I think sometimes we can like draw this line of the uncomfortable things, and literally, like that, like God doesn't want us to go there. That's not safe. It's outside of our comfort zone. And I think, like, over and over people come on the show and they tell stories of the incredible life-changing things that God does when they step over that line into their own discomfort. And I think that, like, as you're telling your story and talking about how the church doesn't do this well and how they could be better, I think, like, boiled down, like, you're going to have to get uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. Definitely. And And get in there in the dirt.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like get down in it, like with people. And that's going to probably mean experiencing some emotions that don't like feel super comfy and light. And I was just like, where in the Bible did we, (laughs) did we make that up? That like everything is supposed to be comfortable and easy, you know, that we watched Jesus mourn and, you know, wrestle with these things with the people that he loved. And he's the perfect example. Well, and we'd
1: have to take out
0: half our Bible.
1: I mean, all of the book of Psalms, of course, the book of Job, every single rape narrative in the Bible. Yeah. um, Certainly. I mean, half of the gospel, like there's so much suffering and it's just a part of our human condition. And the Bible does talk about it. So to say it doesn't happen or to deny that it exists is (laughs) anti-biblical.
0: And to react dismissively is anti biblical like at the end of the day like just call it what it is like like not being willing to press into this stuff with people is it's not scripturally sound it's so frustrating that this is people's experience i feel like i still have not gotten over the first like five (laughs) minutes of our conversation where i was just like what (laughs) (laughs) so your book we too. Let's talk about like where people can find it, how they can get their hands on it, your the resources that you've created for uh survivors. <laughs>
1: Yes, there's, um, they can get it wherever books are sold and the website's we we2.org. If they go to forward slash resources, there's hundreds of other resources. I know I'm not the only resource on this. Um, and if they are someone who's working through their own healing journey, they can go to slash 21 days. And that's a 21 day healing email sequence of just some of the best things that I've learned along the way of healing. And there's a manifesto as well that people can send to their churches and say, hey, would you be willing to sign this manifesto of what are best practices for churches? Um, And so I'm excited about just seeing I want to see transformation. I want to see revival. And I believe revival comes on the heels of our repentance saying Mm. we did this wrong we um, haven't done this well. And we repent, we turn away from that. And that's the seedbed of revival is repentance. And I think we have an holy opportunity. I think God is cleaning house. And we have this opportunity right now, uh, at a, as a cusp and, you know, on the cusp of history to do something really amazing and life giving.
0: Yes, agreed. I love that you have a manifesto that's like, hey, let's not just talk about it. Let's Let's put this into action. Let's do something about it. So we will link to all of those things, um, their resources in the 21 days. Um, we'll link to your website, all in your show description so that people can can get connected and, and you know reap the benefits of the work that you have done. Um, Mary, thank you so much for sharing your story and and writing this book and having this conversation, starting this conversation, spearheading a revival. I think that that's a really practical way for people to pray is for revival Mm -hmm. and for radical change in this within the church.
1: Yeah, that's my hope. And that's why I wrote the book. I didn't write it as as one who wanted to indict the church as much as I wanted to encourage and admonish the church to do better.
0: Yes. Amen. Wait, I almost i I'm so distracted by like the the gravity of our conversation. I almost forgot to do <laughs> our rapid fire questions. Hey, let's do those. <laughs> yes, let's do those. Fun close out. Do you know your Enneagram type? Yes. Three
1: wing two. Or two wing no, two wing three. Three wing two. Two wing three. My daughter thinks I'm the other, so I'm I'm not sure. One of those
0: two. <laughs> One of the, we're in that ballpark. We're in the two yes. three ballpark. Two three ballpark. <laughs> uh what is something that can always pull you out of a funk?
1: Um, laughter
0: mm, yes me too I like laughing so hard that I like, feel like I'm going to throw up that's like the yes. best kind Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is the last thing you watched on TV Uh, what did we
1: watch um, Arrested Development
0: <laughs> I love Arrested Development oh my gosh the blues are such a dumpster fire and it's the best <laughs> I know, I know, so Mary tell people where they can find and follow you
1: I'm at Mary Demuth on most platforms, and MaryDemuth.com is my uh, personal webpage, and um, yeah, all around.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's been a delight, and I'm so grateful for your heart and your desire to love people in your life. I just, I can see it, and I am encouraged by it.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, and you can find the show notes and more information about the show at confessionsofacrappychristian.com. I'll see y'all next week.